Amen. How was your day? Praise God. Genesis 48. Now there's 50 chapters in Genesis, and even if you're not good at math, 48 sounds like it's close to the end, Pastor Mike. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. Amen. So uh, Israel's last days here, Jacob's life is drawing to a close, and just as the uh, book of Genesis is drawing to a close, he's in the twilight of his life. He's 147, 147 years old. There's some mornings when I wake up, I feel 147. Anyone ever feel like that? You know? They say you're only as young as you feel. Sometimes I feel 147, but Jacob had to be feeling every bit of his age. He's had a lot of mileage on him, and uh, we're going to see he's tying up the loose ends of his life here, and that's a good thing for those of us who maybe feel we're in the twilight of life or we're over the hill or, or wherever we are in life to, to finish well, to tie up the loose ends, and Jacob's doing that here. We're going to ask God to bless the word in just a minute. Sister Kim is going to come and read all 22 verses to you, and then we'll, we'll dig into it together. Father, tonight I thank you for this place where we can come on Wednesday night. We can worship you. Father, we can be in your presence and you move and you speak to us and you draw us into deeper waters. Father, I thank you for the word tonight. I thank you for the book of Genesis as we deal with all the beginnings of man and creation and the founding of the nation of Israel. And here's Jacob, who is now called Israel, tying up the loose ends of his life, finishing well. And Father, let it speak to us tonight. Holy Spirit, open up our hearts and our minds that we wouldn't be hearers only, but we'd be doers. So reveal these principles to us so that we can understand them and implement them to our daily living. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 48. The lovely Miss Kim. <laughs> Genesis 48. Now it came about after these things that Joseph was told, Behold, your father is sick. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, with him. When it was told to Jacob, Behold, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel collected his strength and sat up in the bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me, and he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and numerous, and I will make you a company of peoples, and I will give this land to your descendants after you for an everlasting possession. Now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. But your offspring that have been born after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the names of their brothers in their inheritance. Now as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died to my sorrow in the land of Canaan on the journey, when, I was, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons, whom God has given me here. So he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were so dim from age that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them close to him, and he kissed them and embraced them. 
Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your children as well. Then Joseph took them from his knees and bowed with his face to the ground. Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right, and brought them close to him. But Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, crossing his hands, although Manasseh was the firstborn. He blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, and may my name live on in them, and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth." Verse 17, when Joseph saw that his father had laid his right hand on Ephraim's head, it displeased him, and he grasped his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to his father, not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Place your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also will become a people, and he also will be great. However, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. He blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessing, saying, May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. I give you one portion more than your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. Jacob tying up the loose ends here. We noted as we prefaced the chapter that Jacob is 147 years old and his death is imminent. He knows it's coming. Death is part of life. It's something that all of us have to deal with and accept at certain times. Uh, even though death is part of life, we resist it as much as we can. We eat right, we stay in shape, or by faith, I'm saying that. For, you know, we, we take the ice cream out of the cart and put broccoli in. You know, people resist aging. They resist uh, to prolong their lives. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the truth is that, you know, as much as we fight against it, as hard as we try, uh, it's going to come for us all. And the sting of it never gets easy. Uh, everyone born eventually dies. And unless Jesus returns to catch us away and take us with him, all of us are going to taste of death. It's Jacob's turn here, and he realizes it. And he knows it's coming. And, you know, at his age and his condition, it seems that he's been bedridden for a long time. If you pay attention to the chapter, they brought him over on a cart. And when he was before Pharaoh, he, uh, you know, he was basically so old that Pharaoh's first question is, how old are you? So, you know, this guy is ready to go, and that's a good place to be. But he wants to tie up the loose end. So in verse 1 here, uh, Joseph, his son who is ruling Pharaoh's kingdom. He's got his father and his family tucked in Goshen. He gets a message that Jacob is sick and he needs to go bring him and he needs to bring his two sons. So they're preparing here and uh, Joseph understands the, uh, you know, this is a, a moment that he needs to seize and the boys need to be around their grandfather and there's some very important things that are gonna happen. It was very important in the Jewish culture for the elders to speak blessing over the next generation. 
you know, somehow, some way, as Gentiles, we lose the significance and the impact of the blessing. But the blessing in the Jewish culture was huge. It was so important, it could set the trajectory of a person's life. And oftentimes in Scripture, we see that's exactly what it does for the elders, the great-grandfathers, the grandfathers, to lay hands on the next generation and, and speak the word of the Lord over them. See, you know, it's very important that we understand they're not just blessing them uh, with their will. Jacob's not going to say, well, this is what I want for my... No, it's the word of the Lord that he's speaking. We have to have enough relationship with God to speak the word of the Lord, the will of God over the next generation. You know, too many parents try to impart their own will on their children. And that creates nothing but frustration and drama. You're going to see that the things that Jacob is saying here, you know, they, they are the word of the Lord. And, and we should be close enough to God and in his word enough and connected to the Holy Spirit enough to have a word for the next generation. Someone say amen. amen. So the blessing is important. Verse 2, when Israel hears that the boys are coming, I want you to see the response here. You know, he's sick. The word gets to Joseph. Uh, you know, he, he took the two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Uh, when he gets to Jacob, behold, uh, he, 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 it says here, behold, your son Joseph have come to you. So, you know, this is a good moment for him. He collected his strength and sat up in the bed. I want you to see that. Uh, his posture towards this situation here. You know, if he's sick and, you know, he had a couple visitors, he might just lay there and say, let's, you know, let's see how this goes. But the old man marshals up all his strength and he sits in bed and he sits himself up. Why? Because he knows he needs to greet them and he knows in his spirit that this is a significant moment. We need to be able to discern spiritually the significant moments in life. Because so many times we're laying down for them and we miss them. And we need to sit up for them, amen? And we need, to, we need to gather ourselves for them. That's exactly what he does here. He's an old guy. It takes all his strength, but he sits up in that bed. He knows that, you know, uh, this is a spiritual moment. He prepares himself to speak the word of the Lord over these two boys as a patriarch. You know, there's a word you don't hear very much anymore. You, you, you hear a lot of things that tear down masculinity. You hear things about toxic masculinity. You hear things about, you know, uh, you know men and, and all of these things. We should take a back seat. But the Bible shows that there are patriarchs that speak the word of the Lord over the generations. We need some patriarchs again. We need some men and some women of God that have the word of the Lord for the next generation. So... He's ready. The boys come in. He sits himself up like a patriarch. The word of the Lord is in his mouth. This is a significant moment for Jacob. In verses 3 and 4, uh, Jacob starts the interaction with Joseph's two sons by giving them a brief historical recap of the promises of God that were made to him. Now notice here, nothing is done out of order or by accident, but he sees the, the family come. He, he knows the two little boys are there. Uh, his son Joseph is there, and he gives a, this kind of history uh, update. And you know, why is that? He's going to say some things that Joseph needs to hear because he's been absent for a lot of this stuff and doesn't, doesn't know the history. So he's passing on the historical record here so that they can understand some things about his blessing when he gives it to them and the significance of it. Listen to verse 3 and 4. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. So an interaction with God, the blessing of God on him. That's important to know. He's going to bless, but he's been blessed. You know, I don't want to be blessed by people who ain't blessed. Hello? 
You know, if you're broke, don't pray for my finances. <laughs> if you have no self-control, don't pray for self-control. If you have no patience, don't say, Lord, give. No, don't, I don't want that. He was blessed. Blessed people can bless other people. That was weak. And he said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and numerous, and I will make you a company of people, and I will give this land to your descendants after you for an everlasting possession. So right, right there, what he communicates in a nutshell is the Abrahamic covenant. And this was given to Abraham. It was passed down to Isaac. Now it's in the heart of Jacob. He's about to impart it to the next generation through the laying on of his hands of a blessing. Significant stuff here. You know, you could miss all this stuff and just blast through it and not realize this is a real God moment here. Um, he starts off this interaction, you know, uh, with just giving them that little history lesson. He reminds them of the covenant promises of God. So why? Because they need to understand what's been promised to him. So when he blesses them, they know it's transferred to them. Amen. Israel is in its fledgling state, yet it's going to be a nation more numerous than the seas of the, the sands of the seashore. I mean, God. God is going to do an incredible work here with this, this little group, and Joseph is a part of it. Now, verse 5 is interesting. Uh, Joe's two sons are born to him in Egypt and are given a place among the 12 tribes of Israel. you got to check this out. There is no tribe of Joseph. Although Joseph was Israel's son. So you would think, okay, you know, you got, you got uh, these sons here. We're going to have a tribe of Joseph. No, Joseph is the favored son. Two of his sons are going to be tribes in Israel. He gets the double portion right there. That's a powerful thing, amen. The double portion was given, you know, to the favored son. And we're going to see that, you know, that is imparted to him. And there are two sons here, Manasseh and Ephraim. And both of them are going to be tribes in Israel. No tribe of Joseph, but his two sons will be the double portion that is given to him as a favored son. Verse 6 the sons that are born after these two to Joseph are going to have a little different place in the whole scheme of things. God is doing things in order. There's going to be 12 tribes. It's not that every son that Joseph has from this point forward is going to be another tribe in Israel, but God's, God has a structure. The, the sons that are born, Jacob says, these sons that were born to you in Egypt, they're mine. And he's not saying that to be possessive or controlling as a patriarch. He's saying they're part of what God is doing through me. Yes. And th that's a good thing. He said, but the sons that are born after this, those are yours. Okay? W whether they're born in Egypt or wherever they're going to, you know, or whoever they're going to be. They can be in the tribe of Israel within the tribal structure, but they're not going to be one of the 12 tribes and lead a tribe. Okay? So understand, that's what he's clarifying there, and it's good that he does that to avoid confusion. It shows that, you know, uh, God has an order here, and it's the 12 tribes he's looking for. Uh, he gives Joseph the double portion. Um, God has order and structure in everything he does. Amen? Can we agree on that? That's why for us to just wing it at life is a really foolish way to live. I, I never was a wing it guy. If you're a wing it person, I'm not picking on you. I'm just saying, when you wing it, it's dangerous. I've been around the block a lot. I've been in a lot of churches. I've been, seen a lot of preachers. I've seen preachers get on the altar and go, I'm just going to wing it. Really? Not going to study to show yourself approved? I've had people argue with me. Oh, you don't need to prepare. Just get up there and let the Lord fill your mouth. And then you hear him preach, and the Lord didn't fill their mouth. Come on. Amen. They filled a lot of time. 
They said a lot, but they didn't say much. Come on now. Come on now. So, you know, there's preparation here. There's order here. There's structure here. God's a God of order. He's a God of synchronicity. You look at the solar system. You look at the stars. You look at the orbits of the planet. I mean, think about it. It's, it's synchronized m- more than a Swiss watch. And any, if it goes out of balance, we burn up, we blow up, we get... I mean, it's just God is a God of structure and order. And he does things precisely and deliberately. He, his will isn't debatable. Joseph couldn't go, well, how about 15 tribes of Israel? (laughs) Moses couldn't say, how about 20 commandments? His will isn't debatable. It doesn't bow to the opinions or the feelings of man. Amen. He knows exactly what he's doing, especially when we have no idea what he's doing. And that's comforting to us, amen? We should always accept the will of God. Joseph's gonna accept the will of God through the mouth of his father. Uh, There's gonna be a a couple rough spots in here where, you know, there's gonna be a little friction between father and son. We're We're gonna dig into that. But in the end, Joseph accepts the will of God through his father's lips as the patriarch. We don't have to always understand it. We don't always have to know how it adds up, but we should always trust God because he's always moving in our best interest, even when we don't know what our best interest is. Can we just be honest and say there were certain times at life where we thought if we would have got what we wanted, it would have been really a mess. I'm going to raise both hands. Amen. God's will is always perfect. He's always working in our best interest. And, you know, when we learn to just accept his will, accept his word, to not try and, you know, you do what we want and throw this part out. But when we accept the whole of God's word, it, 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 it galvanizes our faith because it allows us to live in such a way that God proves himself constantly when we execute his word and it produces fruit every single time. Verse seven, one last part of Jacob's journey he shares here. Uh, he wants you know, his son to know what happened to his mother. And remember, this boy's plucked away from his mother. Um, A little history lesson here. It says, now as for me, when I came to Padan, Rachel died to my sorrow in the land of Canaan on the journey. When there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way at Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. So he gives an account of what happened to his beloved Rachel. He gives an account of what happens to Joseph's mother. Uh, there again, he's talking about the journey. On the journey, on the way of executing God's will, he had some loss, and it was a great loss to him. Rachel was his beloved wife. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, who are these? So I'm not sure how much interaction he's had with them, how long they've been there, but uh, you know, obviously, he's not very familiar with them. Um, Just notice as he's laying there, as he's speaking to them, as he's giving them history, the elderly have very important things to say to us. I don't know about you, but you know what? I like being around people who've been around a lot longer than me. I used to love sitting with my uncles who, you know, fought in World War II and tell me about, you know, parachuting into, into Italy and fighting under Patton and, and seeing, I mean, it was fascinating yeah, to me. Yeah. Old people have tales to tell. Yeah, yeah. And you know, we should incline ourselves. Charles brings his, how old's your dad again, Charles? A hundred. I should be able to remember a hundred. I thought maybe he was old, but a um, hundred year old man, what, what? wisdom and the tales that are tucked in. We need to get that from the next generation because when they're gone, if we didn't tap into that, it's gone. (laughs) 
It's more than just recipes that die with grandma. Come on. So, you know, Jacob is sharing his heart here. He's passing things on. He's a history lesson. Uh, it's powerful stuff. And he, he sees the two kids there. And, you know, um, he can barely see. And he, he wants to know who these two lads are. And Joseph's answer is pretty profound. He says, these are the sons God gave me here. It's a profound answer. What, one is because we should always understand children are a blessing from the Lord. Yes even in moments when they don't feel like a blessing at all. Come on, they are a blessing from the Lord. And, and Joseph's answer is, God gave me these two sons while I was here, while I was in Egypt, while I was estranged from my family. And so he has a really good perspective here that even though his course was tumultuous, he's blessed on the way and he has two boys here and it's a, it's a great blessing to him. Children are a blessing from the Lord. We should still see them that way. Let me hear amen. Amen. Jacob wants the boys to approach them. He wants, he wants them to be near to him so he can bless them. And verse 10 and 11 tell us that he can barely see. There again, age has taken its toll on the man. His eyes are dim. He, he can barely see them. They've got to be shuffled close enough to where he can grab them. And he kisses them and he embraces his grandson. Now, Joseph's response again is a beautiful response. He basically opens up and shares his heart. He's emotionally thrilled that his father is not only getting to see him and he gets to see him, but he said, you get to see my children too. This is a precious moment here. And in so many ways, uh, Joseph is very, you know, emotionally overcome by the fact that, you know, I, I never thought I'd see my dad again. And here he is. And he gets to see my two boys. Yeah. And not only that, he's going to bless them as a patriarch and speak the word of the Lord over them. It's an exciting moment. Verses 12 through 14 uh, chronicle a pretty interesting event here. This is where, you know, things kind of get a little bit dicey. Then Joseph took them from his knees. So, you know, we're assuming they're pretty small and bowed with his face to the ground. Joseph took them, both Ephraim with his right hand towards Israel's left and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right and brought them close to him. So what is Joseph doing? He's setting them up for the blessing according to their birth order. The firstborn gets the right hand. <laughs> the, the, the secondborn gets the left hand. He's setting them up according to, you know, tradition, according to the way things are done, to go according to the way he thinks it should be done. We're going to see Joseph has, you know, an opinion about what's being done here. He sets them up before him. It says in verse uh, 14, but Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, crossing his hands, although Manasseh was the firstborn. So let's just stop right there. Joseph sets it up the way he wants it to go, and Jacob pulls the old switcheroony on him. Yep. You know, and there again, he's old, you know, he can't see too good, and Joseph must be thinking, what's the guy doing here? You know, he's, he's really losing it. He's like, what's with the hands crossed? And does he not see? Or does he not know who the firstborn is? But, you know, uh, we're going to see that, you know, it's not an accident, but he switches, the, he switches the order that Joseph set up and he puts his right hand on the youngest and he puts his left hand on the oldest. And then he proceeds, you know, to give the blessing. It says, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. The angel who has redeemed me from evil, bless these lads and, my and may my name live on in them and the names of my fathers, 
Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So it's a powerful blessing here. It's the Abrahamic covenant type blessing, and he's speaking it over them. And, uh, you know, just see what happens here. Um, the hands are crossed, and so the blessing is pronounced. And you know from Jacob and Esau that once the blessing is pronounced, there's no givesies, no backsies. There's no do-overs, right? Like we used to play in school when it didn't go our way. Well, the blessing has been cast. Now, 15 and 16 uh, reveals a lot about Jacob's heart and his spiritual relationship with the Lord just by what he says. First of all, he, 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 he starts off with, you know, he wants the children to serve the God of his fathers. So he's not starting a new thing, even though Israel's in its fledgling state. This has been a long time coming. This has come from Abraham, passed through Isaac and Jacob, and now to these little guys here who are going to be two of the 12 tribes. So he wants them to serve the God of his fathers, Abraham and Isaac. That's important. It's not a new thing. It's the fulfillment of the old thing. A lot of times, spiritually, people want, well, I want a new thing. You know, there is no new thing. There's only the fulfillment of the old thing. Before the foundations of the earth, God's purposed for all of these things to be that are right now. He's purposed for the church to be the church. He knows the duration of the church age and when he'll rapture the church. He knows and he's laid out for us, you know, what's going to happen in that apocalyptic period there in the book of Revelation. So there again, order, structure, and the passing on and the fulfillment of ancient things. The second thing he says is God has been a shepherd to my soul. He's been a faithful guide and provider and supporter for me all the days of my life. That's an interesting perspective. Remember, when he got in front of Pharaoh, he complained a little bit. He said, I've had a hard life. You know, things haven't went easy for me. And I had it harder than my father and my father before him. And so, you know, he, he vents a little bit there for whatever reason. But, you know, now his perspective in the end is that, you know what, God has directed my steps all the days of my life. And that's important for us to get a perspective like that. Yeah, we go through rough spots in life where it feels like, come on, God couldn't be in this. Oh, we, we have situations in life and surely, you know, this wasn't, but when, when we look back and this is what you're getting to see here, a man who has run a good race at the end of it, looking back saying, God has been with me and faithful to me and good to me every step of the way. Amen. Whether we accept that or not, that's going to be all of our testimonies because you know what? Once we get past the complaining and the thing, the disappointment and it didn't go my way, we're going to realize it went his way because he always gets his way. And we're his children. And he's not going to drop the ball on any of us. He sees God as a shepherd, a faithful provider and guide. And then the, the last thing he, he says here is he, he, he mentioned something about an angel. He says, look at this. The angel who had redeemed me from evil. Whoa, what you talking about now? You having hallucinations? Uh, you know, too much wine for you, old man? No, he's talking about that angel he wrestled with. Jacob wrestled that angel, and the angel wrestled with him till daybreak till he hit him, and he touched him in the, in the hip socket. Boom, and he walked with a limp. All the, all the days of his life from that forward. That limp, you know, was a sign that something had changed in him. <laughs> when your walk changes, you've changed. You know, I can, I can spot people by their walk from five blocks away. Phil Marcy's coming. I see him. Here he comes. <laughs> you know, Pastor Mike, right? We got our own little walks going on here. Well, I'm not going to demonstrate, but 
people used to make me, they'd see us walking from far away and they'd be like, yeah, Rick and Gross. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Jacob walked a little different, had a hitch in his giddy up. And uh, he attributes that to the situation he had with wrestling that angel. And look what he says here, that the angel delivered him from evil. What evil? The evil of his own lack of character. Changing from Jacob the supplanter, the heel catcher, into Israel, the father of God's nations. Wow. So a lot of significant things being said here. There again, the little guys, the little boys, they don't know what's being said, what's going on, but it's the blessing of the Lord and it'll come to fulfillment in their life. Uh, you know, uh, their walk is a fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant and they're going to see that in verse 16. Jacob, his blessing reveals the plan for Joseph's boys. Um, they were to serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were to carry on Jacob's name, and they were to walk in the fulfillment of the covenant that God made with Abraham. Uh, verse 16 is, uh, you know, chock full of a, a, a lot of things here. Um, and they may live, uh, he says, bless these lads and may my name live on in them. That could sound a little narcissistic, but it's really not. It's the, it's the passing on of the blessing of God. You know, because the blessing was in Abraham, Isaac, and in Jacob. We serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we're grafted into the vine, uh, you know, in, into the blessing of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So this is a powerful thing here. He, he says, and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So it's the transfer that's taken place. There again, the little guys don't know exactly what's being said or the implications of it, but the, the very fact that it's pronounced over them guarantees because of God that it'll come to pass. You know, many times the blessing of God is on us and we don't understand the full scope and range of it. And that's okay. But just know that you're blessed today and that you have a destiny in him and that you're going to spend eternity in his arms because of Jesus. Amen. Come on. Well, I don't know what all that means, and I don't know how that plays out, and I don't know how that's going to walk out in my life, and I don't know which mansion I'm going to get when I die. Well, Jesus is building them. He'll build one perfect for you. And so the blessing of God, and he passes it on to the children. May they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Wow, what a blessing. And they will, and it will come to pass. Verses 17 and 18, Joseph notices right away uh, that Jacob crossed his hands. Now, uh, he gave the bigger blessing to Ephraim and not Manasseh, who was the firstborn. The text says that Joseph was displeased with what his father did. Now, realize Joseph was a, a cocky kid to begin with. Hey, I had a dream. You guys are all going to bow to me. And he went through some stuff in life to, to grind down some of that cockiness. But now he's second in command of Egypt. That's right. That's right. There my, you know, you, when you run everything, you can, you know, start to believe your own press and think, well, you know, hey, I get what I want. Joseph was, Joseph got what he wanted in Egypt. That's right. I always wonder what happened to Mrs. Potiphar. We don't hear about her anymore. But he says, it says here that Joseph was displeased. So, you, you know, we don't know how tense this moment was. We don't know how displeased he was. But, you know, it's pretty clear that he wanted his way. He set the boys up in the order. 
He wanted the firstborn blessed. Jacob crosses his hands. Uh, he gives the blessing. Now it says that Joseph is displeased. And he basically, you know, tells, uh, I mean, the, the reaction here is, is pretty interesting. You know, Ephraim got the bigger blessing. Manasseh, the firstborn, didn't. Uh, he's displeased. He literally tries to remove his hands from the boy's heads. He tries to pull the father's hands off their heads and, and he says, not so my father, you know, and he, he acts like it was either a mistake or an oversight, but he's not happy. In verse 19, Jacob assures his son that the crossing of his hands is not a mistake. It says, but his father refused. So here's the son grabbing at the old man's hands and he's trying to place them where he wants them and thinks they should go, but the father refuses. So there's a little bit of a power struggle there. I want you to smell that, okay? But God's going to have his way. Joseph is going to have to submit to the word of the Lord and to the will of the Lord. But the father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. Meaning that, you know, he, he knew full well what he was doing, and he also knew that it was stinging Joseph a little bit. Remember, this is a guy who stole the blessing away from Esau, so he knows all about, you know, the disappointment of not getting the blessing you thought you should have got. So he says, I know, my son, I know. And he did know from experience. He also, he says, he also will become a people and he will be great. So the firstborn, he's going to be a people, he's going to be great. But listen, however, his younger brother shall be greater than he and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. He is he blessed them that day saying, by you, Israel, I will pronounce blessing saying, may God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So then he put Ephraim before Manasseh. So the deed is done. It wasn't an accident. He persists that this is the will of the Lord. The younger is going to be greater than the older. And my brother Gary's waving back in the sound booth. He says, yeah, that's the way it works out. He says, this is biblical. But, uh, you know, God is basically saying here, I know tradition, I know the firstborn, I know the blessing, but I'm God, and I can bless whom I bless, and I can put first who I want to be first, amen? God is not beholden to the traditions and expectations of men. And that's just what he's showing here. Hey, you know what? There's times where, you know, the firstborn, the Bible says the firstborn belongs to God, but there's sometimes the firstborn won't serve God. People have a free will. God can bless whoever he wants to bless. David, you know, you, you saw it with Jacob and Esau. There was cross there. Now you see it with Manasseh and Ephraim. It was cross there. You know, you see it with David. David wasn't even brought in to receive the blessing from the prophet. He went through all those other brothers, and, and he's like, there ain't no king here. You got anybody else? He brings old David in from, you know, the sheep field, smelling like the field. Yep, this is the one. Anoints him, pours the oil all over him. <laughs> and we've been... Uh, exploring his journey from that moment forward on Sunday for a few months. So powerful things here. God's showing that he's not beholden to tradition or custom. He can change whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and he blessed those whom he wants to bless. For some reason, uh, we don't know what the issue was, but one boy would be greater than the other, and he was not the firstborn. So it's God's prerogative. Um, you know, uh, there again, w these guys are little, and uh, we don't know how this impacts their relationship, but many times things like this can produce a little drama among siblings. You know, I'm, I'm grateful that we, uh, you know, I tell my sons, I love you both the same. Amen. I think that's a good policy. And uh, 
In the Old Testament, it, it wasn't so. Somebody was the favorite and somebody got the blessing. And we see even God doing it here. Um, verse 20, the formal blessing puts Ephraim ahead of Manassas. Both boys would be great, but the younger would be greater. Um, verse 21, Jacob knows his death is near and he encourages Joseph with two assurances. He's got some things to say to these little boys, but he's also got some things to say to his son. It says, then Israel said to Joseph, behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your father. So let's just take a look at that there. Remember, they had already brokered out a deal between Joseph and Jacob. Jacob is saying, when I die, don't bury me here. I'm not Egyptian. I don't want to be swallowed up in Egypt's culture. We're a distinct people, a separate people. You bury me with my father. So Joseph agreed to that. Uh, he's reaffirming that in such a way and uh, in, in some of what he's saying here. But he assures Joseph, number one, Joseph, I'm going. I'm the patriarch. I got the word of the Lord. Spiritually, you might be in awe of me, but God's going to be with you too. That's important for us to know. Sometimes, you know, the older generation tries to be so spiritual that they make the younger generation feel like you guys are never going to measure up. You're never going to carry the baton. The church is going to cease to exist when we die. Some people have attitudes like that, and it projects even in the church. And it's not good. You know why? Because like I said at the beginning of this message, we're all going to be the guest of honor at a funeral someday. And the kingdom of God, much to our surprise maybe, is going to continue without us. So we have to groom and, and stretch and pray and use the next generation to get them ready to carry the baton. But God is faithful. Amen? Amen? The church doesn't hinge on the faithfulness of men. Right. It hinges on the faithfulness of God. Amen. But here's Jacob telling his son, look, you might be in awe of me spiritually. You, you might think you, could, you couldn't fill my shoes. I didn't have time to mentor you very much, but God is going to be with you. What an important thing to know. And number one, God will return you to the land of promise. See, this was something important to Jacob, but probably in Joseph's heart too. He was ruling Egypt, but he wasn't an Egyptian. He needed to go back to the land of promise as well. And so uh, we're going to see the fulfillment of those things as, the, as their lives play out. Verse 22 concludes the chapter. Jacob speaks a blessing over Joseph, and it is a double portion blessing. And there again, he was the favorite son. He was the son that brought salvation to the family because of his obedience and because of him maintaining his faith in difficult situations. It's only fit that he gets a double portion. I give you one portion more than your brother. So it's a double portion, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. So the closing of the chapter is the blessing of the lads, the transfer, the covenant, the, the assurance that God will be with them when he's gone, the, the request to take him back and to go back to the land of Canaan, a promise. Then the double portion blessing is given to Joseph and the chapter ends. Let's bow our heads. Father, we just thank you tonight for all the truth and all the principles and all the the aha moments that you allow us to see as we dig into the text. Father, I pray today that wherever we are in our spiritual journey, wherever we are in the course of our lives, that we would aim to serve you and submit to your will, but we would also be mindful that you've called us to finish well. 
If there's loose ends in our lives right now, no matter where we are in life's journey, Lord, would we pay attention to them and tie up our loose ends? Would we impart to the next generation spiritual truth and spiritual substance? Will we communicate to them that God's going to use them and God's going to be with them and, and they can survive without us and all they need is Jesus? God, I pray for the young people of this house. I pray for the children of this house. Father, they're not second-class citizens in the house of God. They are just as important, just as vital. You died just as much for them. Amen. And Father, I pray as the youth are back there that they are ministered to tonight. And Father, that you would break out in that place with Holy Ghost fire and that you would breathe revival into our young people. I pray for the children, Lord God, tonight, that as they hear their lessons and they sit at the feet of their teachers, that you would impart to them by the Holy Spirit biblical truths that will stay with them till their dying day. Father, we lift up the next generation to you, mindful that you've called us not only to occupy, but to pass the baton and help us to do it well. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.